Hello, All the Books listeners. This is Rebecca. And before we start the show today, I just want to ask you to do us a quick favor. You all know that we have great advertisers that support All the Books and keep it free for you. And one of the reasons that advertisers love this show is that they know the show has amazing listeners. Right now, we have a survey that I would love your help with so that we can learn more about our audience. Go to podsurvey.com slash books. It'll only take five minutes, probably even less. We're going to ask you some questions about yourself and what you like to buy, but it is completely enough. Anonymous. Your answers are going to help us find the right advertisers that are well matched for the listeners of the show and your interests so that when we have advertisements on this show, as we do to keep the lights on and to keep the show free, it will be advertisements for stuff that you're interested in and that you could use. And that's a win-win for everybody. When you're finished with the survey, you can enter a drawing to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Even if you've taken a podcast listener survey like this before, please take a minute to take ours and help support all the books and, you know, have a chance to win $100 to Amazon with which you could buy a lot of the books that we talk about on this show. So once again, that's podsurvey, P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y.com slash books. You will be doing us a solid, and we certainly appreciate it. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 17, and today we're talking about books released on September 1st, 2015. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow well-redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, we're doing this new thing where we record our show on Friday afternoons, and I'm really pleased that this is how I get to end my work week now. It is really good, but I'm afraid, I must warn you, um, I missed my self-imposed Red Bull cutoff that I tried to maintain before recording each podcast. So recording conditions are at code red today. <laughs> so like, I'll probably are you going to just like vibrate out oh, of your yeah. chair? I'll probably talk twice as fast, which means like only dogs will be able to understand what I'm saying. Because I talk that's okay. Fast. I'm I am pretty excited about my first two picks this week. Also, I might have myself a Tom Cruise on Oprah's couch moment, uh, and I have not had any Red Bull today. Oh, wow. Books are or, exciting. In and of themselves. They are. Yay, books. Yes. We're powered by books. <laughs> yes. I realized that as you were saying how excited you were, like I have like two pages of notes about the first book, so I should probably just start telling <laughs> yeah, you let's now just because get it's that. a let's, lot. Let's do that. That's um, what the people are here for. My first pick is actually a book that's coming out in paperback today. It's called Deep Down Dark, The Untold Stories of 33 Men Buried in a Chilean Mine and the Miracle That Set Them Free by Hector Tobar. Now, everyone's probably familiar with this story. It's about uh, the 2010 Chilean mine disaster, and I picked it up in hardcover last year and read it because Ann Patchett said it was her favorite read of 2014, and I would do anything that that woman says. Yeah, what else do you need to know? Yeah, I love her. So, like I said, it's about the Chilean mine disaster that occurred in 2010 when the San Jose mine collapsed, uh, trapping 33 men at the bottom, where they survived for a record-breaking 69 days. Not a record that you probably want to achieve, but they did. Um, Now, we all know working in a mine is dangerous work, and mining conditions have not improved much over the years because of the dangerous nature of the job. Um, But this mine, uh, the San Jose mine, paid three times the Chilean minimum wage, so the men that worked there felt very lucky to have their jobs. Some of them traveled as far as 1,000 miles just to work a seven-day shift. 
Wow. Like, this guy rode on the bus for 36 hours to work seven days and then go home and then do it all again. I mean, it's crazy. So, the San Jose mine is one of the older mines, and it's also known for uh, being willing to overlook protocols in favor of production. Uh-oh. Yeah. So, I don't want to, like, tell you too much about, like, what happened while they were down there, but um, I believe they're making this into a film, and it it is... Like, it reads like a blockbuster film. It has all the right characters. There's the guy who wasn't supposed to work, but he got called in at the last minute. You know, so now he's, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I wasn't supposed to be here today. Um, and his girlfriend is mad at him because she's le- he's leaving, so she doesn't speak to him before he goes off, you know. Um, there's the 18-year-old who isn't legally old enough to work in a mine. You have to be 21. But the boy's family begs the supervisor to hire him because his girlfriend is pregnant. And they really need the money. Um, there's the slacker who hates his job, and he has a better job offer, so he shows up two hours late, hoping that they'll fire him and send him home, but they don't. You know? Oh, no. Yeah, and then, of course, there's the villain, who, in this case, is the head supervisor. Um, the workers on the shift before the mine collapsed went to him and said, hey, we're hearing, like, these really strange noises that are much louder than usual, and he was like, oh, don't be a chicken, it's totally nothing, but then later on, as the noises continued and the new shift came on, the boss hightailed it out of there. Like, basically, like, on his way up, he was like, hey, guy who takes care of the supplies in case there's an accident, you're doing a great job. Might want to think about getting more supplies, but I just said that for no reason. Bye. And like, oh, yeah, he's gone. Um, basically, what happened is a 45-story high piece of rock. Not, like, 45 feet. 45 stories high. Broke That's off, a lot. Yeah. Broke off from the inside of the mine and went plummeting down to the bottom, smashing the ramp as it went down. Like, how they get out. Uh, the only person to get out of the mine was a man who drove a truck, and he was near the top at the time, and he heard the noise and saw the smoke, and his se- sense of self-preservation kicked in, and he just floored it out of there. Um, and it trapped these other 33 men at the bottom. Also, what's incredible is that their earplugs that they use, mm-hmm. are they work so well that they were not aware of the noise at first until it was like almost upon them. Oh my like, goodness. They didn't even know it was happening. Um, anyway, it's just, it's so incredible. It's so intense. Uh, the author talked to the miners themselves. They tell their own stories of, like, what it was like to be down there, trapped there for 69 days. Um, and the paperback includes exclusive material, which I have not read because I read the hardcover. Um, it's all very exciting and just amazing, and everyone got out, you know, safe, and that's great. So, again, it is called Deep Down Dark by Hector Tobar. Awesome. Uh, before I do my first pick, because I'm going to wave very extensive Muppet arms about it, I want to get to our first sponsor this week. Uh, Macmillan Audio is back, and this week they are featuring Purity by Jonathan Franzen. I am sure that you know that Jonathan Franzen is the author of Freedom and The Corrections. Purity is his latest big, grand novel. Um, the audiobook is read by Dylan Baker, Jenna Lamia, and Robert Petkoff. So you have multiple narrators and kind of the rotating cast. Um, I really love it when audiobooks do that, especially because then you don't have like a male narrator trying to do a female voice, which is just never really a good idea. Um, it makes it really fun to listen to characters that way on audio. Uh, Dylan Baker won an Audi Award, which is like the Oscars for the audiobook world, for his narration of the corrections. So this is not his first time at the Jonathan Franzen Rodeo. Purity explores youthful idealism, extreme fidelity, and murder, and is full of original characters. For more information, you can visit 
pretty much anywhere on the literary internet or listen to an excerpt at macmillanaudio.com slash purity. This is one of the buzziest books of the year by far. Uh, we've been talking about it since last year when it was announced that Jonathan Franzen would have a new novel this fall. Everybody has a Jonathan Franzen hot take. And so you can develop yours by listening to Purity on audio. Check out the excerpt at macmillanaudio.com slash purity. And thanks to them for coming back and sponsoring the show again this week. Megan Abbott said that she really enjoyed it. So I'm definitely going to read it. I really like her. I trust her. Yeah, I trust her. That's why. I feel like with Jonathan Franzen and authors that we talk about that that much, like just in the literary internet, you have to read them. Or like, I always feel like I have to read them just to have my own opinion that's defensible in either the liking it or not liking it way. Um, Yeah, you have to do your homework. Right. You've got to it's it's like how you don't get to complain if you don't vote like you have to read the book before you can proclaim whether it's good or bad. Uh, You can have ideas about Jonathan Franzen, certainly uh, without reading the book, but uh, I'm going to give it a shot as well. I might wait a little bit till the buzz dies down, but I'm curious about how it would be on audio too. Okay, okay, okay. So let's move on because I'm so excited to talk to you about this book. It's called Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho. This book is so good. It's so good. I've just been texting exclamation points at Amanda all week long. Uh, So this is set in England. It's kind of that Victorian feel um, about the sorcerer royal, whose name is Zacharias Wythe. His position is in jeopardy. He is a freed slave. He's a black man living in Victorian England. His peers don't trust him, primarily because he's a black man living in Victorian England. Um, They don't particularly like him, and they are definitely jealous that he is the Sorcerer Royal, and they are not. Um, They all belong to the Society of Unnatural Philosophers, uh, where people who can perform magic or who are just rich enough to get into the club hang out and he's about to basically be overthrown by a fellow magician who wants his power. The problem, however, is that there's no magic in England anymore. Um, In the world of Zencho's story, magic is supplied to the world from fairyland, and fairyland has cut off the flow of magic into England. It's flowing into other countries, and we get to see it flow into India and other parts of the world in the story. So Zacharias Wythe has to go to fairyland and figure out why they're not giving England magic anymore. Along the way, because he's doing a favor for a friend, he stops at this girl's school where he is just supposed to give a talk about magic, and he sees that the girls at this school are being harmed because they're being taught how to suppress their own magical skills. In Victorian magical Britain, girls and women are not allowed to be sorcerers, and it's not thought that magic is good for them. It's basically like we're teaching these girls how to not do the magic that they're naturally inclined to do for their own good. Uh, But he sees that it's harmful for them. And so he decides to reform magical education. He's going to like set out on a crusade to change magical education so that girls and women are taught how to perform magic and, uh, you know, won't be suppressed in that way. He thinks it's good for the women and also that it'll be good for the state of overall, like for the overall state of British magic, because there will be more magic because more people will be doing it, assuming that he can get fairyland to give England their magic back. 
While he's at the school, he meets this uh, young woman named Prunella Gentleman. Prunella. It's just so fantastic. She has remarkable powers, and she becomes his ally. This is not a sidekick, not a number two, not a girl Friday. She is his equal in this mission to try to bring magic back to fairyland and also to maintain Zacharias's position as the Sorcerer Royal. This book is fun. It's funny. It's fast-paced, and it is feminist as all get out. Um, Zen Cho, if you Google and read about her work online, she has a very defined perspective about what's happening in science fiction and fantasy and where some of the problems are in it. The The way that this book is laid out, who the characters are, and how things happen in the story attempt to solve the problems that she sees in it. There is this diverse cast of characters. The female characters are well-drawn and wonderful. Uh, it's just, it, it's fantastic. And I don't mean to say um, that this book is like pedantic or preachy about its perspective at all. It's just like, this is exactly the fantasy that I want to read. It's all the things that I wished that Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell had been. I bailed out of that like halfway through. I really wanted to love it and I just couldn't. Uh, but I think that if you're a fan of Jonathan Strange, you're going to like this as well. It's the same kind of feel, but there's just more happening in this world. It's a lot more, it, it's just such a fun world to spend time in. Um, I could go on and on. Liberty might have to be my thunder jacket here. Um, so the book is called Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho. I don't read a ton of fantasy. I think if you are looking for a way in, this is an excellent place to start. And also that longtime fantasy readers who are sort of looking to what the next wave of fantasy is going to be like as the world of how we write genre opens up or continues to open up and be celebrated will like it also. Again, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho. I'm definitely going to read that. You're going to love it so I have it. I, just, I didn't get to it because you were like, I want to talk about it. I was like, okay, I'll just read something else. Um, when we run away together and adopt a little baby or something, we can name her Prunella or maybe our first kitten. cat. It's fine. Kitten. I know you're yeah. going to say when we adopt a kitten. Yeah, it's I would fine. rather have a kitten than a baby. So let's do that. <laughs> yes. Now, this next book that I'm going to speak about is the one that I was so excited about a couple weeks ago that got bumped. So mm. I didn't get to talk about it. But um, our, our first descriptions were so long, I'm just going to briefly talk about this book, partly because, you know, of time and partly because I have read this book two and a half times now, and I'm oh my still having trouble describing it. I have imprinted on this book. I love it so much that I, I can't even, like, get the words to come out about it. But it really doesn't do the book any justice to be like, I don't know, just read it. So I'm going to try and, and explain this book. It's called Prodigies. And it's, I'm going to try and pronounce the author's name correctly. It's by Angelica Gordichea. It's G-O-R-O-D-I-S-C-H-E-R. Um, this book just absolutely mesmerized me. Uh, the author is Brazilian, and it was originally published in 1996. And Small Beer Press, those amazing heroes mm -hmm. that they are, are now publishing a translated version. Um, I may just flub the whole description and just start weeping openly. No. <laughs> um, it's about a boarding house in Germany in the 18th century that once belonged to the famous uh, German romantic poet Novalis. I don't I'm probably not saying their name right at all. Um, also, they are a real person, and I had never heard of them, but apparently very famous German poet. Um, and Prodigies is the story of the boarders who live in this house, as well as the servants. Um, it's a funny, fantastical, slim novel about hauntings, but not necessarily ghost hauntings, more like hauntings of the past. Uh, the writing Ooh. is just incredible. 
Uh, she reminded me a lot of some of my favorite authors like Barbara Cummins and Muriel Spark and Jane Bowles. Um, if you have not read a book by any of those women, I suggest running to the nearest library or store right now and checking them out because they are incredible. Um, Prodigies is just this dense little delight. It's just about hopes and dreams and I hope everyone gives it a chance because I love it so much. We can uh, all be rendered inarticulate about it together. Oh yeah <laughs> and I'm now going to read her first novel which is called uh, Kalpa Imperial. Um, it was translated by a little someone named Ursula K. Le Guin several years oh, ago. Oh you know. Just her. No big deal. So, again, that book is called Prodigies by Angelica Gorodishea. I'm so not saying her name right. You're making a very good attempt, and I have nothing better. (laughs) All right. My next pick. I'm going to put my head down now. It's okay. They're there. Uh, My next pick this week is called Girl Waits with Gun by Amy Stewart. This is a novel about a real woman named Constance Kopp and her two sisters. They are at, it's 1914. Constance is in her mid-30s. Her sister Nora is about the same age, and they have a much younger sister, Florette, who is still a teenager. So Constance, Norma, and Florette are out in their buggy one day in a city like just outside New York, and they have a collision with some bad men who are driving a car. Constance is just like, she's a, a large woman. She's towering, and uh, just this very imposing presence. She just wants to get paid for the damages to their buggy. She just wants people to do the right thing. So she gets the information of the man who was driving the car. His name is Henry Kaufman, and he owns a nearby factory. And she writes him a letter telling him, this is how much it's going to cost to repair our car. You have until this date to send us the money to repair our car, and then everything will be fine, or else I'm going to show up and take care of business. He's a bad man, and so he doesn't pay on time. So Constance goes to his factory and threatens him and embarrasses him in front of his group of bad man friends. Uh, She is not very experienced in the ways of the world. She and her sisters have been living out on this farm alone together since their parents died. They had always been very sheltered. So it doesn't really occur to her that like going to a man's place of business and embarrassing him in front of his friends is not a great negotiation tactic. Um, She and her sisters end up being stalked by Kaufman and his friends and threatened by them, ostensibly because he doesn't want to pay this bill, but also really just he's mad that she made him look bad. Uh, The local sheriff eventually uh, enlists Constance to help him catch the bad guy. And she finds herself sort of, you know, becoming involved in the police work. Um, This is this novel is based on a real woman who was one of the first female sheriffs in the United States. Um, Amy Stewart has written excellent nonfiction previously. And this is a wonderful first foray into fiction for her. You can see her research chops just showing through this book in that when you're reading it, you're not realizing that you're reading something that was heavily researched and the research is incorporated into the fiction. It doesn't at all feel like an author just wanting to tell you all the things that they learned. But the world is so full and vibrant. Um, This 1914, you know, early 20th century America and this woman who is trying to make her way, who doesn't want to do the things that are expected of women uh, in that society, but to stand up for herself and sort of an early uh, suffragette feel to it. I really, really loved it. It was so much fun to read. And that is called Girl Waits with Gun by Amy Stewart. I think that Amy Stewart also owns a bookstore oh really i think so yeah let's go visit her yeah she's got all like the cool book jobs covered author bookstore owner Mm -hmm. i'm jealous 
Yeah, what's up next for you today? My next book is a young adult novel called Vengeance Road by Aaron Bowman. Um, first of all, I want to say that this might be my favorite book cover of 2015. Ooh. Everyone who sees it remarks on it. Um, for those of you who are not standing in my office with me right now looking at it, it's this really cool cover. It's a very busy image of like bullets and pistols and skulls and flowers. It's phenomenal. Um, the book itself is a true grit revenge type story about a young woman named Kate Thompson who sets out to find the men who murdered her father. Uh, she was raised by her father. Uh, he taught her how to read and how to be an expert marksman. Um, and he's always told her if anything should happen to him, she should seek out his friend Abe. Did I, did I mention yet that this is like the Wild West 1800s? Probably not. This isn't, you know, present day. Um, <laughs> True grit sort of gave <laughs> well, that away. Case, just in case you weren't like, she wasn't like thinking, like she's texting like, hey Abe, like send him a text, you know. No, this is like the 1800s. Anyway, so he tells her that if anything happens to him, find Abe. So, of course then, as I mentioned, he was murdered uh, just a few days after Kate's 18th birthday. So she disguises herself as a boy, gets her pistol, and rides off in search of vengeance. Her first stop is at Abe's house where Kate learns that her father has been living under an assumed name all these years, and where she is given an envelope which contains a clue as to why her father was murdered. She chooses to continue down her path of revenge and find the Rose Riders, who she discovers are responsible for the death of her father. Um, tagging along are two of Abe's sons, who are under the impression that Kate is a boy. Uh, the boys are headed in the same direction as, sh as she's going, off to search for gold, and they try to talk her out of like this crazy, pretty much suicide trip that she has, you know, trying to take on this really mm -hmm. nasty gang. Um, of course, things become complicated when Kate starts to fall for one of them. You know, it's hard to explain that. Um, but it's it's also, like, it's not a romance novel at all. It's a really gritty, gritty book. Um, I absolutely adored it. You know that The Lawless Wild West is my wheelhouse. Basically. It really is. Yeah. And this is just a really unflinching book, and it's perfect for readers who are looking for a fun western so, again, that is called Vengeance Road by Aaron Bowman. Yay. I'm trying to think of a segue, and I don't have one. So, before I move to my next pick, I want to remind you all that Book Riot Live is coming up. It's going to be November 7th and 8th in New York City. If you haven't heard about Book Riot Live yet, go to bookriotlive.com and get the info. It's a two-day book nerd palooza. Uh, we're having a whole bunch of authors, publishing people, people whose careers and hobbies are book adjacent, come to do panels, but not the like, here's a romance panel, here's a thriller panel kind of stuff that you see at other book events. This is the book event that all of us at Book Riot have always wanted to attend, and so we decided to make it for ourselves. Uh, there's a panel called Farm to Table, where you'll see an author, an agent, an editor, a book designer, and a publicist talk about how a book gets made. There is a book, or there's a panel um, with some booksellers and librarians and wonderful young adult authors talking about how to pick good books for kids. One of those wonderful young adult authors is Lori Hulse Anderson, who wrote Speak and Winter Girls and other really important novels that we've talked about on the show before. You can uh, see a panel of people talking about writing relationships, including Sarah McLean, who writes my favorite romance novels, and so, so much more. We're also having fancy cocktail parties in the rare book room at The Strand. There'll be a bookish Jeopardy game. There's just going to be so much to do and a bunch of bookish vendors. So you can shop in the Book Riot store and get, you know, your awesome Book Riot hoodie and your composition notebook leggings to rock out for the winter in. You'll be able to buy books and get them signed by authors 
authors uh, on the spot there, including Margaret Atwood, who is coming to hang out with us. So go to bookriotlive.com to register today and use the code MoreCats, M-O-R-E-C-A-T-S, all one word, to save $20 on your ticket. We're going to do a live recording of this show so you can come and watch us, you know, be weird at each other face to face. uh, And we would love to meet a bunch of you there. So bookriotlive.com with the code MoreCats to save 20 bucks. Okay. So my next pick this week, this is one that I have started reading. I haven't finished it yet. I have, I'm loving what I've read so far. It's called Sisters-in-Law, How Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg Went to the Supreme Court and Changed the World. It's by Linda Hirschman. Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I'm sure you know, were the first and second women to serve on the United States Supreme Court. They really couldn't be much more different. Uh, O'Connor is a Republican. She's a Christian. Uh, she grew up on a ranch out in the Western United States. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a Democrat, she's a Jewish woman, and she was born and raised in Brooklyn. Uh, But the relationship that they've had as the first two women on the Supreme Court has really transcended all of these differences. And Hirschman interviews them and combines their personal stories and anecdotes, anecdotes, anecdotes uh, about their lives with legal history and a look at how these two women have transformed the Constitution and America itself to make life better here for women and by extension for everyone. So it's kind of this combination history and dual biography. The structure is really interesting and it knits together very well. Um, Two fascinating women whose importance in American society cannot be understated for so, so many reasons. Um, I'm really trying to catch up on feminist history this year. Um, It's a thing that I want to learn more about in this book satisfies that goal. And I'm just learning some really great things from it. So that is Sisters-in-Law by Linda Hirschman. So you talked about an RBG. I'm going to talk about another RBG now, and that is Rachel B. Glazier, the author of Paulina and Fran. Look at that segue. Yeah. When I saw that you were going to talk about Sisters-in-Law, I like moved all my picks around just so (laughs) I could make that really bad joke. (laughs) Moving on. Um, this novel is so ridiculously funny and inappropriate and wonderful. Oh, uh, I'm so ready for this. Yeah, it's all, yeah. Um, I couldn't help but love it. Uh, and again, because I made that horrible joke, I'll, I'll start over. Uh, it's called Paulina and Fran by Rachel B. Glazier. And it's about two students at an art school named Paulina and Fran. Um, really? Yeah. Shocker. Spoiler. <laughs> um, they become best friends until Fran starts hanging around with Paulina's ex-boyfriend. Uh, Paulina is possibly the world's largest narcissist. Uh, She has a breathtaking lack of self-awareness. She says whatever she's thinking. She treats the few people who will be her friends more like they're her fans. She sleeps with everyone, including the boyfriends of other girls. She's horrible. Uh, Did you ever read Treasure Island? Excuse me, Treasure Island by Sarah Levine? No. There's There's a main character that she reminds me of. She's just like... She's so awful, but you just can't help but love her. Well, like, those characters, like, you don't want to be friends with this person in no. real life, but they're so much fun to read about. Yes. Because at the same time, she's wonderful. She makes these remarkably accurate statements. Uh, she's incredibly funny. And, you know, what's wrong with having healthy self-esteem, you know? Uh, <laughs> Fran is a lovely student who has been warned by her friends to stay the hell away from Paulina. Because <laughs> uh, she's a train wreck. But Fran is actually drawn to Paulina's energy, and on a class trip to Norway, the two of them bond. Um, Besides the fabulous characters of Paulina and Fran, Rachel Glazier has written a hilarious send-up of art school and art students. It's just all these great little things that they do. It's it's really funny. Um, I underlined so many lines in this book. 
Like, so many. If it were possible to absorb all the amazing quotes I underlined by eating the pages, I would totally do it. I would. Um, <laughs> but then know, how would you have room to eat James Patterson? <laughs> it's not going to happen! <laughs> um, anyway, so the copy on the back called it A Story of Friendship, Art, Sex, and Curly Hair. And I was like, well. Sold! Sold! Yeah. Totally sold. Yeah, it was so much fun. I just, I absolutely adored this book. Um, and again, it's called Paulina and Fran by Rachel B. Glazier. Awesome. Another book that features excellent female friendships and so much more is out this week in paperback. It is Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. I love Amy Poehler. I really, really love Leslie Nope, the character that she played on Parks and Recreation. And this book was such a treat when it came out last year. Um, my notes right now actually just say Muppet Arms go here. Uh, this is a memoir about Poehler's life and career. She talks about coming up in the world of comedy and TV as a woman, making mistakes in her professional and her personal life. She talks about her relationships with friends and coworkers and family. Um, and she's just, I thought, really remarkably candid about, you know, the realities of living the kind of life that she's lived and the ways that it's wonderful, but also the ways that it's difficult. There's a great chapter on aging and the power of being invisible, um, which as I get into my 30s is something that I'm thinking about, you know, like you're not 18 and turning heads all the time. And there's a lot of cultural lament about that, about women, like we're supposed to be really super sad that we're not the ones that everyone wants to stare at all the time as we age, but there's real power to being able to go unnoticed sometimes and her perspective on that was really refreshing. Um, and there's a chapter where she writes very openly about a big mistake she made about a joke that she wrote for a Saturday Night Live skit that was very hurtful um, to uh, not just people in general, but to some people that she happened to know personally and how it took her years to apologize for it um, because she was just afraid to and what happened then. I listened to it on audio last year and the audiobook includes appearances from Kathleen Turner, Amy Poehler's own parents, Seth Meyers, Patrick Stewart, and uh, many more people. It's just a blast if you're looking for a good audiobook to listen to. She, you know, Amy Poehler will keep you excellent company in the car or on your run or whatever. The book is just filled with humor and heart. The hardcover was beautifully designed. I haven't seen the paperback yet. I imagine it's also awesome. And again, that is called Yes, Please by Amy Poehler, and it's out in paperback this week. I loved the the hardcover, and they she had those bold statements in between chapters. Oh right! Like said something. My favorite being the one that said, "Short people do not like to be picked up." Because this <laughs> so is the true. Truth. It is Set so true. <laughs> Better yet, don't pick us up to begin with. Right. I will bite you if you pick me <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. Fair warning for Book Riot Live attendees. Yes. Um, okay, so those are the things that are released this week that we're excited about. What are you going to go read now? I am going to read a book called Killer on the Road by Ginger Strand. I actually started reading this book when it came out, and then something that I very rarely do, um, I misplaced it. Like, could not find it. I know it's hard to believe I lose books in a, in a house with <laughs> over 3,000, but it's actually really rare that I lose a book. And I, you know, have since moved, and I finally located it in a box of CDs, and I was like, yes, yes! Um, it's called, again, it's called Killer on the Road, and it's about how in the 1950s America built the 42,795-mile national system of interstate and highways and spawns a new kind of killer, the highway killer. Oh. Yeah. And about how after expressways were built, the nation's murder rate went way up. Serial killer books are one of your things, aren't they? They might be. (laughs) It depends on who's listening. (laughs) (laughs) 
What are you going to read? I'm also reading in one of my wheelhouses this week. It's called When Old Technologies Were New, Thinking About Electric Communication in the Late 19th Century by Carolyn Marvin. Um, A couple of weeks ago, there was this big hand-wringing Vanity Fair piece about Tinder and like, Tinder is ruining kids these days and the young people aren't looking for love. They're just using technology to find sex and society is doomed. Uh, And I was joking about it on Twitter with Clive Thompson, who wrote a great book that I love a whole lot called Smarter Than You Think. That's about how technology has improved our lives a lot in the the last several decades. And we were talking about generational panic with new technologies and how like, I was like, oh, I would read a whole book of generational panic think pieces from like different turning points in history. And he was like, oh, well, then here is a book about that thing. Uh, So I ordered a copy of it. I'm going to dive in and read about the things that people were worried about in the late 19th century when technology as we know it was really just starting to be developed Um, and hopefully soothe myself that even though it's annoying that every new technology results in people thinking it's the end of society so far society has not collapsed because we found a new way to communicate with each other Um, so that's when old technologies were new by carolyn marvin there's much like that rule 34 where like there's porn of it on the internet if you can imagine it there's like it should be called like rule 451 where there's a book about it yes if you want to uh to learn about it. So anyway, that's me. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it was it was great. I was like, it was one of those perfect, like, it's a moment that's straight out of Clive's book. Like, you connect with someone on the internet you would never be able to connect with in your day-to-day life. And then you find out about a thing that you wouldn't have known about otherwise. It was perfect. Yay, internet. Yes. Okay. That's our show. This is a good one. No one jumped on any couches. <laughs> Thank you again uh, to Macmillan Audio for sponsoring this week. Go to macmillanaudio.com slash purity to listen to uh, an excerpt of Purity by Jonathan Franzen and to get more information. If you've got a couple minutes to help out the show also, please do go to podsurvey.com slash books. It will uh, help us identify the best advertisers for this show so that we can keep the lights on and we can keep Liberty in Red Bull because Lord knows that's necessary. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Talk to us on Twitter. Let us know what you're reading. I am at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is at Miss Liberty. And if you've got a minute to rate or review the show on iTunes, it lets us know how we are doing. And also it helps other book lovers discover the show, which is what we're here for. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And that's it. Happy reading. Happy reading. 